0: Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part four of our sermon series entitled, The Vow. Please enjoy. up to go rework some of this stuff, when you're single, if I can get this stuff just kind of cemented in your heart, in your mind, and if you will start out your relationships this way and start out your marriage this way, it will be huge. So I'm so glad you're here. And then married people, we just know marriage is not easy. It's not an easy task based on just our, our current obstacles and the circumstances of life. Marriage can just be difficult. There was this one couple who um, on, their, on their 60th birthday, um, they, they found, they were walking the beach and they found this little bottle and they, you know, like a little genie's bottle. And they said, what the heck, let's go for it. And, and they rubbed it. And sure enough, a, a genie popped out. This is clearly a true story. Um, and, um, and he said, you know, because you found me and it's your 60th birthday, I'm going to give you whatever one wish that you want. And, and he lets the lady choose first. And she goes, I want to travel uh, all of Europe and just go on an amazing, you know, European vacation thing. He says, poof, done. And then instantly she's, you know, she's traveling the, the the globe and traveling Europe and doing just a great vacation. He looks at the guy and says, what do you want? He goes, um, I want to be married to a woman 20 years younger than me. And he goes, got it, poof. And he turned 80 instantly right there. So, so marriage, and those jokes are funny because we all know that marriage just has these quirks and these, these these things that just we, we get lost in, these ideas we get confused by, these paths that we get on our marriage. And sometimes we get duped into thinking, maybe I want somebody else, or maybe I want this or this or this. was just not working out. And I'm telling you this, that if you will do marriage God's way, You have a 100% success rate. And in in Genesis chapter 2, if you've got your Bible and you want to go there, God gives the original blueprint. Now, all throughout the rest of Scripture, He gives these great ideas and great helps and great prints. But I'm telling you, in Genesis chapter 2, how many know you can't get much more beginning than that? Um, He gives the original blueprint for what marriage is supposed to look like. And there's these laws in there. And I'm telling you what, if we will just... I know we don't like the idea of laws, but if we will surrender and submit to these laws, these truths... Marriage will be incredibly successful. Let's read together. Genesis chapter 2. You can read along on the screen for those of you who are not reading in a Bible or now you, everything's digital now. Everybody wants to read on their iPad or their phone. Any way you can read it, I don't care. Just read it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. The Bible says So the Lord caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That, this is the key verse we've been hanging on. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Everybody say, one flesh. Adam and his wife then were both naked and felt no shame. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about just these ideas that flow out of that. that Really, that one verse. The Bible, first of all, he says this. He says, this whole idea of marriage. Remember, he makes Adam, he makes Eve, he brings them together, goes, this is marriage. Let me tell you how it works. For future generations, as long as people are getting married, this is how it's going to work. A man will leave his father and mother. And here's what that meant to them. Is that the relational priority shifts when you get married. Because when you're a kid, mom and dad are it. They're everything. They are your, your, your absolute providers for life and sustenance and, and development and growth and learning and all that stuff. He goes, that changes. Because when you get married, a man leaves and a wife leaves, her father and mother. And now they're no longer under the control or the protection of. or the, It's not the primary relationship anymore. And this is the law of priority. It says this. It says that as a married couple, there is no greater human relationship than the relationship that you have with your spouse. And when anything jeopardizes that priority right there, you're you're bound to have problems. When work supersedes, when kids supersede, many times it's hard for us to think about in those terms we think, but I love my kids and my kids, I want to give them so much that I didn't have. And what we end up doing is creating these kid-centric homes and it fractures the marriage. God said, no, 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 the marriage is the most important thing that you can do for your kids. And when the marriage is first, your kids will be the most blessed. The law of priority. The second one was this. is this the law of pursuit. He says not only does a man leave his father and his mother, but then he cleaves, unites to, and pursues after his wife. And this is the law of pursuit. It's this idea that we never stop chasing them down. Wives, you never stop trying to pursue your husband. And husband, you, you never stop trying to pursue your wife. And guys, I'm going to give you a quick little, little note here. Never stop studying your spouse because they change on you. Yeah, 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 they change on you. So, like, just never just assume that you got them figured out. Because, like, boom, it's gone. And then they change. And that's the old saying is that, is that a woman wants a man um, and falls in love with him hoping he'll change. And, and he typically never does. And then a husband falls into a woman hoping she never changed. And she always does. They're gonna change, guys. So, like, this is why you can't stop pursuing because, like, the things that they like, this is why great marriages are measured in decades, they're not measured in years. They're measured in decades because life's uh, flow and life's seasons change. So you just never stop pursuing them, never stop studying them, never stop chasing after them. Keep trying to be charming, keep trying to be sweet, keep trying to make them feel special. And likewise, wives, keep doing things that you know just make your husband feel so proud and so excited to be married to you. This is the idea of pursuit. And the last one that we'll look at today is this, is the Bible says that the two would become Everybody say one flesh. This is the the final thing that we'll talk about in this series. We'll kind of put a bow on it today. This is the law of possession. This is the mathematical miracle. It makes no sense. He says something unique, something spiritual happens. Paul confirms this in the book of Corinthians. He, He says something spiritual takes place. Inside of marriage, it's, it's not just a government contract. It's certainly not a tax break. It's not, it, you know, there's something spirit. There's literally two hearts coming together, two spirits coming together to become one flesh. This is the law of possession. And if you want the law of possession for you, this is how it really works. See, when you were single, you know what you had? You had your stuff, and, and, and you had your money, and, and you had your time. And you had your things, and you had your desires, and you had your habits. And you know what happens when you get married? You got to kill all that my stuff. Because mar- I'll tell you what, marriage is really hard on selfish people. I'm tell- I learned this because I was a selfish person. St- I'm still working this thing out. I remember getting married, and I was all about my stuff. I wanted to do my... And it, it took me, what, nine months maybe? To like really like figure out what... So I have to like be one with her in how I think and how I make decisions and how I treat my time and how I just do things. And it, it took me a while. I was a young, I got married when I was 21. So I had a whole lot of stupid on me. Does that make sense? And, and, and I, I just didn't know any better. And so I did. I just, and so I remember being a young man and I just thought it was still OK for me to go where I wanted, when I wanted and do what I wanted and not really totally consider her with all my thoughts and decisions and the way I treated my things and myself. It just it was it was my stuff. And marriage is hard on selfish people because I just learned that, that when you get married, there's these strips of selfishness that just start getting peeled back. Then you have kids, and you know what you realize when you have kids? You're still selfish. That's what I realized. I thought, I thought my wife had like gotten it all out of me. And then I got kids, and all of a sudden I realized, wow, I, I not only need to prioritize my wife, but now I need to give to my kids. And know what I'm doing is, is now I'm giving up more and more of, of my Stuff and I just—it's just hard. And and, and in marriage, this is the difficulty that we run into: is you're bringing two people together, and if you don't go into it with the understanding we are going to become one flesh in everything that we do. Meaning, we—and how do you make two things one? You have to completely meld them together, to where all of our things, all of our stuff, everything we do is now together. And I'll just sum it up: you need to do life together now. You need to share life together, and that. It's the law of possession. And you know what it does? It's so huge for your marriage when you start thinking like this. Because when you start doing life together, it says, you know what? Possession says you are incredibly valuable. You have that, doesn't it? Possession communicates value. Because for the longest time, when I would just not think about my wife, it made her feel What? Just neglected like I didn't care. And so when you don't have the law of possession working for you, the opposite happens. And so, you know, your spouse always needs to know I value you. And so when I go to make a decision or I go to like go somewhere or do something or, or, or whatever it is. I want you to know I value your input. I value your thoughts. I value your feelings. I don't want to step over these bounds and make you feel uncomfortable or make you insecure with how I'm treating and dealing and operating. And so I want to make sure that you're in my life completely. We share everything together. Because I value you. Not only that, possession conquers jealousy. I don't know about you, but like, you know, when, when you have a spouse that like, tries to keep something from you or has something on their own and they don't want to let you be a part of it or speak into it, I mean, there's some jealousy that goes on. And what happens is, is the spouse eventually looks at that thing and begins to resent it and you. Why? It just does. But, but, but when you have possession working and you say, no, our life is shared, it conquers all that jealousy. It just says, no, I don't care. And then you know what it does? It actually creates more freedom in the relationship. Because then it's like, well, no, I want you to go with your girlfriends or I want you to go and play this or do that or have these hobbies or go and whatever. I just know that you can go do them freely because you're willing to let me be a part of it or li- willing to let me speak into it. So now I feel so comfortable. Yeah, I feel free for you to go and to do and to be and to do whatever. And, and, and lastly, I would say this is possession enhances your intimacy. It does. When you when you say our entire life is together intimacy happens. Because you're talking about all my thoughts, all my emotions, everything that I've got, it's yours. As a matter of fact, when you go read the Song of Songs, which you might need to be married to read that book, it's a highly sensual book. Um, it, it's, it's a book about love and relationship and marriage and connection. And, and, and in Song of Songs 2.16, the Bible says this, and, and she's speaking to him, and she says these words, and this word kind of encapsulates what I'm talking about. She says these words, my beloved is mine, and I am his. That's what marriage is supposed to be like. My beloved is mine, and I am his. It's the idea of possession. It's that you and me together now are not two separate entities. We are completely one. Whatever mine and and it was mine before, it's yours now. And you inherit everything. And sometimes that's good stuff and bad stuff. Can I get get it? Because see, like, you you didn't know you inherited that mother-in-law. You you didn't know that... You didn't, you didn't know that you inherited, you know, that debt. You didn't know. So sometimes you're inheriting bad things. But listen to me, the, the, the good so far outweighs the bad. And I know that you're hearing me. See, here, this is, See, I know uh, what goes on inside of your head. I don't know if you know that. As a pastor, I've been given spiritual gifts of, of reading your mind. I know. So there's a kickback here. Because you're like, yeah, that sounds great, Todd, but you don't know my wife. Or, yeah, yeah, that sounds great, but you don't, you, you don't know my husband. And see, some of you ladies are out there, and you can't share your emotions, and you can't share your feelings because you're afraid. And some of you guys, you, you're, you're, let, let me tell you why. The, the driving obstacle to this whole idea is that fear. There's a fear that builds up in us and says, but you don't know. I mean, if I let her in, if I let him in, look at the damage they could do or what could go on. Or, and so that fear just grips our heart and says, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know that I could let them in that far. I mean, I know I've married them and all. But I'm not sure that we want to go that far. And so because of that fear, we, we, sometimes we become, we become insecure people. Sometimes it's because of past relationships. See, I know so many people that, that just because of their, maybe a the previous marriage or early on relationship before they got married, they were so damaged when they let somebody in and they were so damaged or burned or taken advantage of. And so that fear sometimes ends up, ends up manifesting in this like control issues. Because if I control my world, nobody can hurt me again. If I control these things, she can't and he can't and they won't and I won't let them. Because I'll just keep a tight grip on everything that's my, my stuff. And you don't realize it, but you're actually damaging and fracturing the relationship. Because again, you can't break these laws. You can only break yourself against them. The law of possession is always in play. The law of pursuit, the law, these things are always in play. It is only when we break ourselves against them that that the damage happens and we look back and think, what what went wrong? So what is the fear that's in your heart that maybe is the kick? Because I know there's a kickback. I know, I I can feel it in the air. There's a kickback. You know what some of it is? And you don't want to hear this, but I'm your pastor. I love you as I tell you stuff anyway. For some of us, it, it's secret sins. Like some of us just have secrets. And we're so afraid that if they really knew and if they found out, it would damage everything and it would all be overtaught. I couldn't tell her everything because she'd leave. And we, we create these things because we have secret sins. You know what the solution is? Deal with the secret sins. Deal with the issues. Don't let them live inside of you because they're cancerous. To the marriage and the relationship. For, you know what, for some of you, it is? Because I've seen this, and I, I even experienced this on, on some level. Some, it's just the way we were raised. Like some of you were just raised. So ladies, some of you are raised by a man hater. And, 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 and a mom, all she ever did was say how bad men were and how they won't deliver and they won't show up and that's all you ever heard and that stuff's kind of ingrained in you. Or you were, you were raised in an environment where you saw a mom take advantage of dad and you resented your mom for it and you resented women and I'm not going to let her or we're not going down that road. For some of you, it was just kind of like training. It was just kind of like the home that you grew up in. Mom just had separate stuff from dad. They just did everything separately and they had separate this and separate that and that's just, that's just the way that it's supposed to be. No, it's not. That's just the way that they were. I remember hearing this one mom who her daughter was about to get married and she kind of had just a, a bunch of bad experiences with men in her life and she told her daughter flat out, you're not going to let a man treat you like that. You're not going to ever let a man have control of you. We're setting ourselves up for failure because ultimately what we want is is we want to become one flesh because that's what produces great Marriage everything cuz see here's what really makes great marriage it's it's this balance of trust and betrayal trust and betrayal trust and betrayal and when we can't trust other people we can't enter into genuine relationship and when we're always experiencing betrayal it's, it it just fractures the relationship the way that you get rid of that it's the law of possession it says this that everything i have is yours and everything that's yours is mine and we share life together, and we do life together, and nothing is off limits. You have total access to my life. Here's the big five. This is where I see it, typically, because I do enough conversations, enough counseling. I've seen it, and, and again, I, I've experienced it. The, the first of the big five is this. Everybody say decisions. you gotta, you got to share your decisions together. I, I remember running, uh, uh, you know, talking about, like, you can't break the law. You can I broke myself one day. Against this law, I remember um, we we had just moved into like a new place and it was kind of time for a new TV. Guys, can I get an amen? It's just you need a new TV, you need a bigger flat screen, and you just, you just it's just time. And I remember going out and I was with my buddy. I wasn't with my wife, and but we'd always had a pretty good track record of saying we just make decisions together. And we, if it's a major expense or major, we just we just agree on it before we do it. I I I, I broke that um, a little bit, and not totally. Because I called her. See, I was at Best Buy. I was with my buddy. I'm like, hey, babe, here's the deal. There, there's, a, there's a great deal. I think they're closing soon. And it, it, it's, it, I'm just telling you, we got to get it now or we're going to lose the opportunity. Like, yeah, just, baby, I've done. And she's like, well, well, did you look at the, you know, consumer's report? She's a big consumer report girl. And did you, did you look? Is, 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 you know, and so, and then, and then, like, I think my buddy talked me into getting the warranty, which she made fun of me about when I got home, by the way. She's like, you got the warranty that's stupid. You don't get the warranty. You know, that kind of thing. And, and, but I remember I got home, and she just had this funkiness about her. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? It's just <laughs> something right. And, and, and I'm like, babe, babe, babe. but here, here's the deal. She felt like I just made a unilateral decision. And I, I kind of like told her about it, but I didn't bring her in. We didn't share that together. We didn't make that decision together. I just did it on my own and kind of just forced that one down the pipe. And you know what? This became a topic of discussion for quite some time. And I remember even like a year or two later, every once in a while, this story would come up. And she'd be like, yeah, every time I look at that TV. I- I'm telling you, when you, don't do, when you don't do life together, there's resentment. Because there, you didn't share the decision. You didn't have shared value and shared decision. You didn't, you didn't bring each other together on it. And so sure enough, that was a, I think that was a 42-inch flat screen from Samsung, and she hated it. It's a great TV. Hated it. You share your decisions. And I'm talking about all your decisions. Anything that affects. Now I'm not saying like you call her to see like if you should get like, you know, um, the subway club or just the turkey. or yeah. I'm not saying we get silly. But when we get into like life decisions, decisions that affect the relationship, the decisions decisions that affect the family, the decisions that affect the children, all these things that come into play. We just, your career. Bring her in on that. Bring him in on that. How you do holidays and where you're going or how you do all decisions should be made together. Now, here's the deal, because there's this there's this dynamic in Scripture about the man having headship in the home. and, And that is absolutely still in play. But listen, even though the man has the headship role, meaning the final responsibility, that means more than anything that he just carries the weight of the responsibility, But I'm telling you that the best marriages share life together. That's why if you go read Ephesians chapter 5, when guys will get in there and quote, wives should submit to their husbands. If you go read the very first verse that starts the the entire monologue that he gets into, you know what it is? Submit to each other. Meaning like, no, no, no. I I bring her in. We go, we talk, we discuss, we share, we do it all together. Now, at the end of the day, the husband has to take the final responsibility for it, but you don't do that unilaterally. And you don't do that with just lip service saying, yeah, what's your opinion and disregard her. No, you genuinely come together as one flesh to make all your... Everybody say decisions. Decisions, decisions. Number two is this. Everybody say money. Money, money, money. 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 I have a wonderful falsetto, if you don't know that. Um, I work all I know my day's off. Um, money, money. I've seen this fracture relationships. And, and it's just one of those things where, you know, if you've got secret accounts and secret stashes and you just do things on your own financially. See, I grew up in a home where, um, as a matter of fact, not just my home, but my grandparents were like this. In my grandparents' home, my grandfather had his own money, his own account, everything was separate. Grandma had her everything separate. My parents... Mom and Dad, every Dad, everything separate, separate, separate. Mom, everything separate, separate, separate. And I just realized, like, when I got married, I didn't know why. I didn't have the wisdom behind it. It, it must have been just sheer divine luck. But I just was like, yeah, I think, I think I want to just do our finances together. You know what it was? My wife's a better money manager than I am. That was that was it. Now that, that just dawned on me. That, that's why I don't, I don't. I'm great with the decision making, but like, I don't want to manage the details. I, I, I would I forget to pay bills. Things would be bad. My credit wouldn't be as good. So. I just decided early on I wanted my, but that wasn't the way I was raised. And I'm telling you this is that when you live financially together and you make financial decisions together, it brings the marriage back. And guys, let me help you out real quick here because guys, there's, there's a way that you can be held at a greater level of accountability, which is what you want. Because here's the reality of me and my life. And because of the way we do our finances, like I can't go crazy and her not know about it. Like, I can't run off the deep end and her not know about it. I can't be at the strip club. I can't take a little quick trip to Vegas or Tahoe. I can't be online buying a I can't. I can't do that. I don't have any separate... I don't have anything. I, I really do. I have like a couple of cards and I rarely ever have cash on me. And she knows about everything that I do. And so I can't go out and get buck wild crazy and go off the deep end. I can't do it without her fully knowing. So it creates in me this accountability. And likewise for her. Like, there's no secrets between us financially. And here's the other thing that we do when it comes to our finances. This is, again, just practical. I'm sharing with you how we do it. Is we have kind of a general rule of thumb that says if we're going to spend more than a couple hundred bucks, we just let the other person know about it. Not because I need permission. I don't need... It, it's, it's about respect and value. It's about saying, hey, look, if we're going to do our finances together, let's just be on the same page. If we're going to spend like... Any significant amount of money, I'm going to let you know about it first. That way you can weigh in. Maybe there's stuff I don't know about. Maybe you got some bills coming up, or we just bought this, or, and we just, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe there's some things we don't know about. But we do it together, and by doing it together, I'm telling you, life just works. You know what, ladies? This protects you. I, I know this woman who literally, she would have her bills, her credit card bills, sent to her mom's house so her husband didn't know about it because she had a credit card issue, and she kept running up credit cards. And to keep her husband from knowing how bad she was at spending, she literally had her bills sent to her mom's place. Okay, that's not going to help the relationship. You're breaking yourself against the law of possession. You do your finances together. Thirdly is this. Yeah. Now, 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 now hear me out on this. You should totally do this together. Um. <laughs> I had nowhere to go. There was this weird, there was this weird awkward moment right there. He, he, here's where I see this as a problem, though. See, I talk to people. And see, I know people where they leverage this against each other. They literally do. They use it as a form of manipulation or a form of incentivizing or bargaining or whatever. And it's like, well, you didn't, so you're not gonna. It's the old, like, you're in the doghouse or you're cut off. Or you. whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't don't use this as a way to manipulate. We don't use this as a way to punish or reward. That's not how this is. As a matter of fact, here's what Paul said. And I wanted to drive this home for you. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, let the husband render, that's code, render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And he gets into the law of possession. Look how he backs this up. This is why this is important. The wife does not have authority over her own body. But, everybody say but, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife, this is not mine. Now, I work on it for her. I got to keep maintenance, but it's for her and she does the same that, that, you know, this is not a license to Dominate. This isn't a license to, to be weird. This isn't a license to control or, or to, to, to do something against her own conscience. Or, it, it, don't, don't get weird with it, but the idea is it's total oneness. It's, and, and in this union, we are totally one in this area. We don't, if you go back to that word, it, we don't use this as a way to separate or a way to punish or a way to reward or incentivize. We, we don't do that. It is totally one in how we treat each other. And you know what, what makes this, you know what makes this actually work is a servant's heart. It's a servant spirit. It just says this. You know what? In this arena, I'm here to serve you. So in whatever way, in capacity, and however, and and likewise for the wife, a servant spirit. Yeah, in in whatever way, and however, and we can get how many or how that, that's. It's just I'm here to serve you. And so I just recognize that a servant spirit is the key to this being great. But we don't separate. We don't leverage it against, and we don't manipulate with it. You are fracturing your marriage. Number four is this. Everybody say them kids you you got to say it with a little bit of a D-E-M on it. It's not even them. It's them, ki- this, them, them kids. See, I know, I know this about kids. Hey, have you ever done this real quick? Like when your kid is doing great and doing good, you're like, that's my girl. I'm so proud of her. That's my like little champ or whatever. But when, when they get crazy, what do you do? You're like, them's your kids. That's where you do the dem, The dim's dem, your kids right there. That's, that's all you. Are you. You know, every time your kid does something that your husband does, you're like, that's your fault. Um. We, we we don't leverage the kids and we don't and we do parenting together. We we make our decisions together. Like like Tara Lee and I, we've made decisions like we made the decision to homeschool our parents. That was just a decision that we made together and how we how we discipline our kids. That's a decision that we make together. And here's and here's what you'll run into sometimes is you'll have like mom trying to discipline, 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 and you'll have the dad come in and be like backdoor her by like, Hey, don't worry about that, I got your back, and you you let him off the hook. You, you, just, you just broke the law of possession there because those are your kids. You parent them together. You discipline together. You train them together. You do it all together. And here's the deal. The, you know where this is the number one problem? It's in blended families. In blended families, you have this tension. See, you know what that is right there? That's them kids right there. Um, I don't know whose kids that is, by the way. But anyway, usually that means go get your kid because um, they're acting like your husband. Um <laughs> Here's the deal. In, in blended families, we start breaking these laws. In blended families, what happens is, is you have a, a man and a wife that, you know, maybe they have previous marriage and they have kids from a previous marriage or a previous relationship, and then you bring them together. And you know what you, you break? You break the law of priority because then all of a sudden, like, those are your kids and I don't know that I can trust him to, to love or to parent or to have influence. I, I just don't know. And so the kids stay the priority and not the husband. And then when it comes to the law of possession, you break that because, because then you're actually, hey, hey, these are, these are my kids, you know. You don't know what they've been through or what their dad did to them, so I, you can't come down. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What you have to do is you've got to come together as husband and wife in total unity. Because see, what happens is when you keep protecting those kids and guarding those kids and and, and keeping the kids from her or keeping the kids from him, you create this weird dynamic. And you'll find this. You'll find the kids eventually playing you two against each other. And you'll have division in your home. And all this chaos happens because we didn't do life together. If you're going to marry somebody, you're saying, I go into this knowing that I'm going to become one flesh with you and we're going to do life together. And we're going to even parent together, even though the dad might even be in the picture still or may not. You're you're going to be involved in this process on some level. And you talk through it and you work through it and you let them have value and input into it. That way you have unity in your home. And when you have unity in your home, you have God's blessing over your home. Everybody say, okay. That's them kids. Lastly is this. Everybody say, God. Yeah, this sounds strange, but I find this to be true. Is that sometimes we have um, a husband and a wife who have totally separate relationships with God, and they never kind of cross over those ideas. And and guys, I know it's difficult. I'm I'm the pastor. So I know what it's like, and I know like my wife even in in times past has said, hey, why don't you share with me like what you're learning or what you're experiencing or what you're praying about? And and this is something that's a a constant thing with me and my wife still. So I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm telling you is this. Your relationship with God is not private. It's personal, but it's not private. Does that make sense? Your relationship with God is personal, but it should be immediately shared inside of your home. And I'll be honest, guys, there is nothing sexier than a spiritual guy who has high character in his pursuit of his relationship with God. That's attractive. Because you've got to be strong to put all the girls. "Uh." Um, I'm telling you, it's just attractive. Because you have to be a strong dude to have that type of pursuit of God and the character of God working in you. That requires strength, and that strength is attractive. And ladies, the same thing. We, we don't, ladies, sometimes you can be the more, uh, at least outwardly spiritual person in your home. Don't leverage that against your husband. Don't don't use that as a way to, to you know, kind of sit in the seat of judgment against your husband and condemn him for not being or all that it does. What you want to do is, is be in unity in terms of your relationship with God. And if your even if your husband's not even a believer, you, you should be sitting in a place of saying, you know what, I'm going to love my husband, support my husband, pray for my husband, but I'm not going to use my, my relationship with God as leverage against him. We We do life together we don't take any of these things and 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 let it become something that fractures the relationship we bring it so it actually brings unity to the relationship and you pray together you study the bible together me and my wife have a thing we typically read at night before we go to bed and she's right there next to me she's got a new little kindle thing and so you you just you just share in those moments you know what the best thing you can do is this is go to church together worship together serve together serving together is many times overlooked but as a couple you should find an avenue inside of your church or somehow somewhere to serve together i promise it brings unity pray together study the bible i'm telling you it has huge 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 benefits you, you want to see what the benefits are this is awesome so god gives this whole breakdown he goes that is why a father or that's why a man leaves his father and his mother is united to his wife and the two become one Flesh. Everybody say one flesh. Okay, now here's, you want to see the reward? It's in the next verse. The next verse in Genesis chapter 2 says this, Therefore Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, now listen, now that, don't, don't try to like picture what that looks like. <laughs> try to like experience in your heart what that's like. Okay? You know what it means to be, to be naked and without shame, to be naked and not ashamed? It means I can be totally vulnerable. I can be totally transparent. I don't hide anything from her. She can see me with all my good parts and all my bad parts and all my flaws and all my good qualities. She, see, she sees everything. And I'm totally vulnerable to her. And see, when you, when you know that you're the priority of the, of, of the marriage, what does that do? It creates this trust. It says I can be totally vulnerable to when you know they're in constant pursuit of you, it, it creates this thing where you're just, you feel incredibly valued and, you, and you, again, you trust them. When you know that the law of possession is working for you and you share everything and you do life together, you realize he doesn't have anything that he keeps from me and I don't resent him for any of those. There's nothing there. We can totally trust each other. And you know what? When you have total trust and you have that value and you have what you, what you end up with is intimacy. To be naked and without shame. I don't have to hold anything back be totally vulnerable to her. That's what intimacy is. Think about it. This is what intimacy really is. It's being able to be in a relationship where I'm both fully known and fully accepted with no fear of rejection. How do you get that? The law of priority. They are always first. The law of pursuit. I'm always trying to win them day after day after day. Pursue them. Love them. Bless them. Shower them with whatever it is that makes them feel loved and valued. And you know what? The law of possession, we just, friendship, this is where friendship really comes into play. Friendship is the most underestimated and, and overlooked aspect of marriage. Is that we should be friends and do life together, have fun together, make decisions together. And when you do that, you get to be naked and without shame. Absolute and total intimacy. This is the way that God designed marriage to be. In a, in a Jewish wedding feast, I'll close with this. In a Jewish wedding feast, um, don't do this now that I know of, but at an ancient Jewish wedding feast, they would drink two cups of wine. The first cup of wine that they would drink was called the cup of joy. And basically when they drank it, they both drank it out of the same cup. And it was the idea that in life we will have great joys and fun experiences. And when we drink the cup of joy together, our, our joys are doubled because we did them together. But the second cup was called the cup of sacrifice. Because in life, you'll know that not everything will be a bed of roses. Not everything will be easy. And sometimes you'll experience pain and loss in life. And so here's the deal. When we we drink the cup of sacrifice, when we drink the cup of sorrow, we believe that our sorrows are cut in half because we shared them together. This is what marriage was supposed to be, is that we live life together. We share in all of our joys. We share in all of our pain. We share in all of our decisions. We share in our parenting, in our, in our love life, in our, in our, our relationship with God. We, we share everything. And because you have all these elements in play, you get to have a marriage that the world looks at and is envious of. Because that's the way that God designed it. Let's pray this morning. You know, sometimes when we hear a message like this, it, 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 I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be challenged, but sometimes you have to ask a penetrating question. Sometimes you have to ask questions like, you know, is there anything that I keep a secret from my wife? Is there anything I hide from my husband? Is there an area of my life that I just don't let them speak into that I won't let them confront because I'm afraid? Is there an area where I'm kind of like controlling and hoarding power and not letting them have any input at all. Because if you are, if there's a yes to any of those questions, I'm telling you that you're breaking yourself against the law of possession. If you want to experience great marital bliss, where you're together in all these areas, I'm telling you, we have to surrender. We have to trust. This is why ultimately everything that I'm talking about really cannot be done aside from and apart from your relationship with God. So you have to remember that Adam and Eve were not in the garden alone. It was not just Adam trying to figure this out. It was not Eve just trying to figure this out. They would have, they'd have ruined it almost immediately, I'm sure. It wasn't that it was just Adam and Eve trying to figure it out, but God was in that garden with them. And when God is in the center of our marriage and, and our personal relationship with God is thriving and strong and we're pursuing God, these things become very possible. And you won't be perfect at it, but I'm telling you, if you'll keep your eye on the prize and you'll kind of keep them at the forefront of your mind, if they're things that you revisit on a regular basis, I'm telling you, you can have a blessed marriage. You can have a marriage that the world is envious of. You can have a marriage that becomes the light of the world, the salt of the earth. God designed marriage for so many reasons. God, marriage brings out the best in us. It usually kind of scrapes away the worst in us and it helps us become the person in Christ we were meant to be. It, it, it sheds those layers of sacrifice but yet it gives us some of the greatest joys and experiences we'll ever have in life. And marriage is, is something that God used to bless you with if you'll do it his way. And I know a lot of you out there have been burned by marriage and you've been burned by a guy who didn't and a girl who didn't and she did that and she took advantage here and he said those things. For some of us we need forgiveness and healing to move on. If you're out there today and you're struggling, I want to encourage you that God can heal your marriage. Without doubt, without question, God can heal your marriage. You've got to believe that. You've got to, God can heal your marriage. I know that you've been through a lot, and, and maybe there's been a lot more than I could ever even imagine or understand. I'm telling you, God can heal your marriage. God wants to bless your marriage. And so, God, we come to you and we pray this morning that, God, you would give us the strength and the help. God, you would give us the grace to trust you with our marriage. To trust you in in making our wife the biggest priority. In making our spouse something that we're constantly in pursuit of. Constantly working at our marriage. Never quitting. Never giving up. Never mailing it in. Never getting lazy. We're, We're pursuing. We're working at it. And God, we want to trust each other. We want to do life together. We want to share life together. We want to be married to our best friends. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would be at work in our marriage, at work, in our hearts and minds. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Does that make amen? Amen. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.